Let's take our Bibles. Let's open to Acts chapter 1. Would you turn there with me, please, this morning? Acts chapter 1. And we're continuing this series of messages that we have been bringing for a few weeks now about a subject that can never be discussed enough, and that is the amazing grace of God, right? How could we ever plumb the depths of that incredible, incredible message? But let's try once again as we look at Acts chapter 1 to have the Lord share with us some things about His amazing grace. And once you turn there, your Bible, that's page 909. If you'd like to use the Bible, that's provided for you, page 909. Now you'll be wondering, what's Sam doing up there? I'm reassembling my notes. I dropped them here praising the Lord, okay? So... Uh, and after I get done, some of you may say, I don't think you ever got them back together again. <laughs> and some of you will say, I didn't know this, the difference. So, Many years ago at the New York City International Exposition, and the International Exposition was really a precursor of what came to be known as the World's Fairs. And this one was held in the Queens borough of New York City. And it was an exposition built around the theme of how energy could be harnessed by mankind, various kinds of energy. And I thought that was interesting because the 1982 World's Fair had that same theme. If some of you might remember that. As a matter of fact, I remember going through a little round building that was about solar energy, okay? And a little did I know when I was going through that with my teenagers, taking them on the way to camp, I was walking through what would be the first auditorium here at West Park Baptist Church that I'd be sharing in. So I'm telling you, I was glad to know that there was power there. Okay, the power already, the real power of the Lord. But that was, that was quite a moment. But this first one, many years before that, was also about various forms of energy. And it had one display that fascinated so many people. Uh, as people would approach, they'd see this large, large uh, man-shaped figure. Uh, I guess we would call him uh, a mannequin, large mannequin. I hope that's still politically correct. Perhaps today, a human person kindakin. All right. <laughs> and he is pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping, and water is gushing out as he is pumping for all his might, and it's filling uh, this huge Huge container and cups are provided. It's ice cold water and everybody can refresh their thirst while this uh, human figure is just pumping and pumping and pumping this water. And it just amazed people, but it was actually a display of the, one of the themes of the exposition because it was showing how water pressure could be used. Because in reality, by a system of pipes, this figure was connected to an underground stream, an artesian well. 
And the reality was that he wasn't pumping the water, the water was pumping him. <laughs> and so all the pumping action and all the water gushing out was coming from a hidden, a hidden source. And what appeared to be this man pumping refreshing water was actually the man himself being pumped by the water. And you know, to me, that is an example of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. It looks like that we're doing something. <laughs> and you know what? It's someone doing something in us. And what is motivating us and causing us to be blessed is overflowing into a blessing for others. But the reality, all the power, all the refreshment, all the source of life is in Christ alone. That's amazing grace. You see, that's grace. All sufficient grace. Grace that allows us, as sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and have within us this incredible, precious gift of life in the Holy Spirit, it is the life of God himself in us that enables us to be a blessing. And that's what I'd like us to focus on this morning. We began here last week as we talked about this grace, this aspect of God's grace for supernatural enabling of us. The grace that enables us. And last week, just by a quick review, <clears throat> we looked at two mountaintop scenes, two mountaintop scenes that give us three mountain-sized promises about one momentous purpose. Two mountaintop scenes, three mountain-sized promises that give us one great momentous purpose. Now, Acts chapter 1, we will look in just a moment for the second mountain. But the first one we looked at was in Matthew chapter 8 last week. Do you remember Christ told his disciples after his resurrection to meet him in a mountain that would be shown to them? And this mountain was in Galilee. And there Jesus met with them. He gave to them what we know as the Great Commission, how they would be on joint mission, co-mission with him. And one great promise that he gave there, actually two, but the first one was this. He gave the promise of his absolute authority. Do you remember this if you were here? The promise of our Lord's absolute authority. He said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you remember, we, I shared with you that Bible teacher that I heard one time say, and it's all I remember him saying in that whole conference, all means all, and that's all that all means. <laughs> that was breakthrough right there, right? All means all, and that's all that, that's all, that all means. When Jesus says that he has all authority, you know what that means? <laughs> He has all authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. And all other authority is under his authority. And friends, remember, Jesus this day 
still possesses that authority. Don't ever doubt it for a moment. The centuries since he uttered those words, have not, they have not diminished his power in the slightest. All authority is the Lord's. All authority belongs to Jesus. There's no authority that is above his authority. And so he tells us, as we go, we're not going powerless. We're going under his authority to accomplish his purpose of making disciples in all the earth. And so he gives the promise of absolute authority. But here's something that is so sweet. Not only does he tell us on that mountaintop statement that he has absolute authority, he also gives us this mountain-sized promise of his abiding presence. His abiding presence. What did he say? Behold. Attention. Mark this. Listen up. I am what? With you always. Even to the end of the age. Friends, there are the two bookends for the Great Commission. All authority and always his presence. And between the two is the mission of the church to be going, to be making disciples of all people groups, to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be teaching them to observe all that He's commanded. And behold, I'm with you always. We are not alone. Isn't that wonderful to know? We are not alone ever. And when that promise of the Lord Jesus grips your heart, my friend, when it truly grips your heart, then the cowardice, which is natural to all of us, can be changed into courage because we know the one who has all authority is always with us. And wherever we're going, we're not going alone. Isn't that great? Wherever we're going, we're not going alone. Think about that. When you go to work, you're not going alone. When you go to school, you're not going alone. When you go to see that doctor and you're concerned about the diagnosis, you're not going alone. When you go to that appointment, you're not going alone. When you have to deal with a very difficult situation, painful, you're not going alone. When you have a, something on your heart that you want to share with someone, give them a message of hope, share the love of Christ, you're not going alone. Whether you're going next door to your neighbor or like Jeff and Julie, you're going to Asia, you're not going alone. Because our Lord is everywhere. And wherever we go, He's already ahead of us. We don't take God with us. He's already there. We don't have to bring him. He's there. And that changes the whole dynamic of our thinking. When we begin to recognize that, yes, in my life, Christ is with me. I'm not 
alone. What a mountaintop promise that is. Of our Lord's absolute authority, His abiding presence. But now let's go to the other mountaintop. And this one is described for us in Acts chapter 1. And this is the Mount of Olives where Jesus gives another mountain-sized promise. He gives the promise of His all-sufficient power. He says, I have authority, all authority. I'm always with you. And my power is going to be all sufficient for what I've called you to do. Now, you remember the scene described in Acts chapter 1. Jesus and his disciples are walking up the Mount of Olives. Christ is about to depart from planet Earth and return to his Father. He's about to leave. And he's going up the Mount of Olives. His disciples are going with him. And guess what? Just a few weeks earlier, they had come down this same road with Jesus. And so maybe they, they get the idea, now this time he's really going to do it. You know, the last time he was riding the donkey and there were the throwing the clothes before him and singing Hosanna and there's the, the branches and he's coming as king. Maybe we're going to get to the top and this is going to happen for real. And so they are probing, asking him, Lord, at this time, are you going to establish the kingdom? At this time, are you going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus tells them uh, very graciously but bluntly, that's none of your business. <laughs> the Father has commended all those things to his own hand and his own time. But what they don't understand is that Jesus has not, is not at this point going to establish the kingdom. Listen carefully, church. He's going to use them to expand the kingdom. Because they're going to have to understand just because the king is leaving, the kingdom isn't leaving with him. Because the kingdom is in our midst. The king, kingdom is where the king's presence is. And the king is going to send his presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to expand the kingdom through them. And he describes it this way in verse 8. You know it well, many of you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you are going to go. I am going with you. You're going under my authority. I am going to be with you. But now imagine this. He says, I'm going to be within you in the power of of the Holy Spirit and you will receive this power. Now the word there for power is dunamis. Dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it but it does not mean what we think of when we say the word dynamite. When we say dynamite we think of explosive power. Explosive power. But that's not what the word dunamis means. Dunamis means inherent power. 
It means that power is inherent within to accomplish the purpose. And Jesus says, you will receive the dunamis. You will receive the inherent power to do what? To be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus left them in his ascension. And those 11 men went back to Jerusalem. They went back to the upper room. Probably the same room where they had celebrated Passover. And Jesus had established the Lord's Supper. And they gather there with about 109 other believers, 120. And what do they do? They begin to pray. They begin to pray for the promise of Jesus to be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit would come. And they pray, and the Bible tells us, one week later, on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, with the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and with the expression of fire coming into the room and then dividing and resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the praises of the Lord in other languages. Why is this happening? What did Jesus say? You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth to all the people groups of the world and so on day one of the church on day one of the church the expression of what the church will be doing is carried out as those first 120 believers gathered begin to share the message of Jesus in other language groups, with other language groups. And some of them are gathered there and they hear the messages of Christ. And they wonder if these men and these women have, uh, you know, continued a party or, start, or started one too early. And Peter has to stand up and say, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But let me explain to you what's happened. And he begins to tell them of the promise. The promise of the spirit that would come after the death and the resurrection of the Christ. And the Bible says that through that witness that day, 3,000 people repented of their sins and were baptized that day. Now think about it. The first Sunday started with 120 members of that church and it ended with 3,120. That was quite a Sunday, wouldn't you say? And from that day, they began to continue and sharing the message of Jesus. The power came upon them and they shared. Now you can imagine what happened when such a wonderful thing happens and people's lives are transformed, and they become better citizens than they've ever been, when they're treating other people with more kindness than they've ever known, when more poor people are being helped, when more suffering is being alleviated, of course, you know what happens. The whole culture is so excited. The whole political system says, well, wonderful. It's great that these good people have finally come and arrived. 
Not quite. Not quite. Even though these Christians were only showing grace and mercy and kindness as they discussed Jesus, there was opposition. 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 So what happened? They said, well, did they say this? Well, if the government says we got to be quiet, I guess we got to be quiet. Well, that's not politically correct, so I guess we can't share it anymore. Well, some people are offended by what we're saying, so we'll just have to stop doing that, you know. Uh, we'll keep doing all the good things we've always done. We'll keep being nice and helpful and encouraging people. We'll keep helping the poor and ministering to the sick, but I guess... We just have to stop sharing this message. <laughs> Not on your life. Amen. Look at Acts chapter 5. Here's what happened. They arrested the apostles. <laughs> and they, they weren't surprised. It wasn't the first time. It wouldn't be the last time. You know, someone has said the apostle Paul and others of the New Testament apostles, when they first went into a city, first thing they would do is check out the jail because they knew that's where they're going to be. <laughs> and so notice what happened. They're told, they're commanded, you're not to share this message. This message is not acceptable. This is offensive. This is disruptive. There, there are large portions of our populace who do not care for this message. You got to shut up. You can keep meeting in your church. You can keep doing that upper room thing. But you got to shut up. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I wasn't very seeker sensitive. You killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God has exalted him at his right hand as the leader and the savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And now notice this. Don't read over this like I did for decades. Let it grip your heart and encourage you in your witness. Then they said, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We know this man is alive. We know he was dead, crucified. In fact, you killed him. But he's alive, resurrected, and ascended. And we are eyewitnesses, but we don't witness by ourselves. So also does the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friend, what a comfort that is. When you know that your witness isn't enough, the Holy Spirit keeps on witnessing. When you've said your last word in trying to share your love and your testimony, 
The Holy Spirit's not said his last. When you have to stop the conversation, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to stop his. When you have to end the communication, it doesn't end for the Holy Spirit. When you go to sleep, he's still on the job. He's still awake. He's able to take your witness, which is the message of Jesus, and he is able to use it in a way you can't imagine. Friend, you're not alone in your witness. It's, it's not the subtlety of your speech. It's not that you know every verse of Scripture. It's not that you're an expert in systematic theology. It's not that you know all the things that apologetics could teach you to make the best defense you can. It's wonderful to grow in that knowledge and grace. But friend, I want to tell you, you can tell anybody B.C. and A.D. Now, this is my life before Christ. This is my life after Christ. And it's because of the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb that he has changed my life. And I bear witness of what he's done. Amen. And friend, listen. The person may be an agnostic. They may be an atheist. They may be from a whole other religion. But when you stop talking, the Holy Spirit is just getting started. And he is able to make that message powerful. Rely on the Spirit of God, the all-sufficient power of His Spirit. But now notice, it's not only the power of the Spirit, but the message itself has inherent power. Look, if you would, at Romans. Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. If you're using the Bible that's provided, that's page 939. In Romans chapter 1, I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul is so looking forward to visiting Rome. He's so looking forward to going. He's not been there yet. And he's looking forward to coming and sharing the gospel in Rome. And you know what? He finally gets there, but it's not quite the transportation program he had in plan. Uh, he's arrested in Jerusalem. He's almost torn in two by a mob. Then he's put in jail. Then he's released. Then he's taken down to Caesarea by guard. He's put in jail for another two years. Finally, they put him on a boat with other prisoners and send him to see Caesar. And a cyclone blows him all over the Mediterranean Sea. He ends on almost a deserted island, starts building a fire, and gets snake bit. <laughs> Wasn't quite what Paul had in mind. You think your life's got detours? <laughs> this wasn't quite what Paul had in mind, but he got to Rome. But he wrote ahead saying this, verse 15, I am eager, I'm eager to preach, to share, to proclaim the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Why is he so eager to share this message? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dunamis of God. There's the word again. It is the inherent power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or the Greek. Notice what Paul is saying. He says, I am looking forward to sharing the spoken message of the gospel with you. 
Why is he so excited? Because he knows that inside of the message is the dunamis, the inherent power of God is in the gospel to bring people to salvation. He just shares the message and the message itself has the power to accomplish salvation. You know, someone asked the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, 150 years ago, they asked him, Reverend Spurgeon, how do you defend the Bible? How do you defend the Bible? He said, I defend it the same way I defend a lion. I just turn it loose. <laughs> I turn it loose. It defends itself. You say, well, what if somebody doesn't believe? That's no hindrance to the power of the gospel. You say, well, they're an atheist. You think an atheist has never been converted by the power of gospel? There's some people here in this room who were once atheists, but you're not atheists anymore, right? The gospel. You say, well, I need answers. The gospel is the power of God to give those answers in a person's heart. It accomplishes salvation. And you say, well... You know, you've got to have faith. A person can't be saved apart from faith. Well, look at Romans chapter 10. Turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 10. You, you think that maybe you have to convince people. You've got to somehow impart your faith to them. You think that you've got to somehow think of a way that you can share your faith and you can give your faith to them. You can't do that. So how do they come to faith? Well, look at verse 17 of Romans 10. Here's Paul talking about the word of God. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of God. Now, friends, do you see what God is saying about this book, about the gospel message of Jesus Christ? He's saying that inherent in the gospel, inherent in the gospel, not in the messenger, but inherent in the gospel is the power, the dunamis, to produce salvation and produce faith that leads to someone's salvation. So if you want someone to come to faith, what do you need to be sharing with them? The message of the word of God, because the power inherent to bring them to faith is in the word. You may be here this morning. You say, I, I need greater faith. I, I just got to have greater faith. Well, where is your faith going to come from? Friends, I want to tell you, your faith comes from Facebook. Facebook. I've told you this before. Get your face in the book, okay? And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Faith comes to your heart. Take your doubts to God. Open the word of God and see the miracle of faith created in your own heart. And then you can share that with confidence with others. Friends, I've seen this happen time and time again. I'm just celebrating this morning as I was listening to our dear brother sing the opening song. And I mentioned to Jeff how our dear brother Sean a year ago came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited. He's up here now singing, praising the Lord. 
And I'm so grateful the same thing happened. A little eight-year-old girl just a few days ago baptized here last Sunday. And you see, isn't it wonderful? The same power of the gospel that saves a man who's struggling with faith, even though he has such great training, is the same simple gospel and powerful gospel that saves an eight-year-old girl from Cedarbrook, right? It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring people to faith. I've seen this hundreds of times, but none more powerful than this one. And I mentioned to Jeff, I, I said, I think there'll be a picture maybe encourage you and Julie just at this season because Jeff and Julie are going to uh, regions to share and encourage people about the faith uh, in this whole region of the world. This dear brother that I met uh, in January is in Delhi, in Delhi, India, a city of 22 million, one city, 22 million. This young man, he's in college, he's studying computer systems. He showed up as I was talking with the church planters. He came every morning for a training. And, uh, and one of them said, well, he's not one of us, but he just enjoys it so much we let him come. And I said, well, that's great. I got to get the, what's your story? So I go over and start talking to him. And of course, he's, he knows English. He's been trained in English. And he says, well, several months ago, this is what happened. I was walking home, and I walked through a park. And a man was handing books out of a bag. And I loved to read. And so I went up, and he gave me one of the books. And I took the book home, and I started reading it, and I discovered it was a God book. Amen. It was a God book. But I'd never heard about this God. So I started reading about this God, and it says, this is the God who created heaven and earth. This is the God who created the first human beings, and they sinned. And this is the God who continued to show himself, and people rebelled. And he said, this is the God, though, who then sent his son. And he lived on the earth, and he did good, and he worked miracles, but evil men killed him. They crucified him. But on the third day, the son of this God rose from the dead. And he's returned to his father. And as I was reading this, and he's so animated as he's telling this, and he's by nature a very shy individual. He said, I knew this was true. And I said, this is my God. I will give myself to this God who loved me so. And he prayed to God and he renounced his other gods. And then he didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to go because who other knows about the God book? And he went back to the park and the man with the bag wasn't there. And so he started walking and walking around the park looking for the man who had the God book. And he couldn't find him, but he just happened to walk by and heard the name mentioned Jesus. And he knew that's in the God book. And he went over and he says, do you know the God book? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God? And they look at him and say, yes, we do. And he told them his story. And they said, you come with us. Amen. You come with us. And they took, them, took him, 
and here he is in the gathering of the believers. Okay. <laughs> and here he is that night. I'm sitting there as we're having a worship service, and this dear man who was in the darkness of paganism just a little over a year ago, and he was given the God book, and now he's reading the God book, leading in the reading of the God's word. <laughs> and what you see on his face, that smile, that's exactly what was in him. And we went to visit the slum. I know Jeff and Julie, you've been there. And to go into this slum, into these little dwellings, and hear this brother pray for people. Friends, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Amen. Listen, it's right here in this book. God's in this book. His power is in this book. If you read this book, you'll get to know the author. And his joy will fill your heart. And great joy you'll have is telling others about him. And you might be just absolutely surprised that while you're stumbling and stammering and your knees are knocking together and you're trying to put a couple of thoughts together about Jesus, people are actually brought to him. And they believe. The power's not in us. The power is in Christ and in his spirit and in his gospel. And dear friends, that power is in us. In us. Ephesians chapter I read this and we're, we're finished. Paul says the power of God is available through his spirit. The power is in his scriptures and the power is in his saints. Paul's writing about the church. The book of Ephesians is about the church. The incredible story of the church. A new humanity. People who've been enemies to God and enemies to each other, now children of God and brothers and sisters with each other. A new humanity. The church. And Paul prays for them. Verse 14 he bows a knee and he prays that the church, he's praying for Christians. That we might be strengthened, that we might be rooted in faith, grounded so deeply in love and be able to comprehend the height, the breadth, the, the length, the, the depth and to know the love of Christ. It surpasses all knowledge and to be filled with the fullness of God. And Paul ends it with this great exclamation, this declaration of faith. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we are able to ask or think 
according to the dunamis, same word, according to the inherent power of God at work where? Within us. To him, not to any church, not to any group. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, listen. We don't know what we can do until we know who we are. And you don't know who you are until you know whose you are. We have an identity problem. And the identity problem for most of us is in that first letter of identity, I. Our identity is not in ourselves. Our identity is not in who we are. Our identity is in whose we are. And who is within us? The very power of the risen Christ, the dunamis. Oh, friends, I want you to understand this becomes actual when it becomes personal for you. As long as you think once upon a time, long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there was something that happened for God that was pretty amazing. Or as long as you think, I'm sure that works for some. But as, as being willing to say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of it just being what has happened someplace else to some other people at some other time. Lord, I believe. I believe in you. Lord, make it actual for me. That's a simple prayer, but it's a bold prayer. For some of us here, how long since you prayed to the God you know and said, I'm tired. I'm tired of the motions. I want the reality of what Jesus died to give me and what the Holy Spirit came to do. I don't want to waste my life. I want the reality of Christ. Lord, our hope is in Christ alone. And I pray now for this moment. Give grace to people to listen to your voice. Hear the prayers that are rising now, O oh Lord from people begging for you to be the living reality. Lord, hear your church. We desperately need you.
we can do nothing without you. Lord, let every praying, pleading heart know this morning that you are serious, you are real, you're alive, and that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that any of us can ask or think for the glory of Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name and God's people said,